I'm Justin Snyder. And I'm Stephanie Greenwood Snyder. We're just an average everyday couple. But over the years, we've seen the incredible importance of building community together. We'll be talking with friends and experts about their stories and experiences to help us learn and grow. We don't want to just survive through life. We want to intentionally thrive. This is The Intentional Thriver. Well, welcome back to The Intentional Thriver. Hello. I am very excited about this episode, as Justin knows. She is. It's true. We have another Justin and his beautiful wife, Anna, the with us. The better Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> which has been fun to text back and forth with Anna and be like, is your Justin okay? My Justin is ready. You know? <laughs> so this has been really exciting. Anna and I go way back. We worked at camps together. She is Miss Spirit, like she has so much energy and joy, and I just love that about Anna. You just, I don't, I mean, I know I've seen you cry, but like not very often. You're very, very upbeat, very kind hearted. Tell us about that, Anna, right now. We worked at camp. I mean, it was a very uh, stressful, emotional time, you know, and she led her cabin so well and just the energy, right? And then also Anna is also has all sisters, so we, we're kindred spirits there too with mm. all the girls. But then you had three boys, so <laughs> that's a learning curve, I'm sure. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. But you're expecting your first little girl. Congratulations, I'm so excited guys. for you. Thank and then you. yeah, and then Justin, I've been following you on the social media and just enjoying what you post about with, in the finance world. And I just feel like we, I see such a balance in the way you communicate to people. You don't call things out. You just educate and you're very clear on, on, on that. And I just have really enjoyed your posts and um, wanted to have you on to talk about it. Yeah. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's dive in. Let's start with, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your guys' backgrounds and just Kind of a little bit about yourselves for for the people who do not know the Brammers. <laughs> um, sure, yeah, we uh, currently live in just outside Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I grew up kind of in the Midwest, um, and I mean, early on, um, I enjoyed. I was kind of weird. I was always like the young person, but always was seeking out like jobs and stuff. So I think I had my first job when I was like fifth grade. Um, nice. Out helping the principal of our school rake leaves, mow lawns, uh, all that fun stuff. And that was that was here in Indiana. Um, and then went off to, to college where I met this this fine lady. Um, and then we got married. I I drug her out here. So she's from she's from New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And so somehow I don't really know if we had a conversation. It may have just been like. It's assumed. I think yeah. it was assumed. Yeah, because I was already working. I had a yeah. job out here. So oh. uh, moved out here. And then lo and behold, her whole family's here now. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really impressive. Yeah. Yes. It was the kids. It wasn't me. For uh, sure. Oh, yeah. sure. Sure. But you had cute kids. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, so I, like you said, grew up with all sisters. I am the oldest of three and lived in New England my whole life. And um, then went to college for music education. And so we got married, moved out here. I taught uh, early childhood music for uh, probably five or six years and then taught elementary music in a private school for three years. And I've taught piano now for probably 12 years or so. Wow. And um, we have three boys, like you said, six, four, and almost two. And a little girl on the way. Yes. Man, oh, man. So biggest question of the night, Anna. Um, Growing up in New England and then moving to Indiana, are you a Duncan or Starbucks person? (laughs) Oh man. See, my answer to that would be out here. I am a Starbucks fan, okay. but wow. back in New England, I am a solid Dunkin's fan. Mm. It's like, different. It's here. different, right? Like I think that's that's we're gonna have to do one podcast just about being a New Englander. 
And so Stephanie can talk all about that because (laughs) like, it's just a different country apparently, (laughs) you know, it's the only civilized place left in the United States, according to Stephanie. I might have some opinions about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So diving in a little bit more about your guys' stories and your journeys, you know, obviously we're going to be talking about money. We're going to be talking about finance, which can be uh, a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation for some people, um, both individually, but also in talking to whether it's a significant other or a friend about it. Like, again, it can be a little taboo. Can can you guys tell me a little bit more about your kind of journey when it comes to money and how like your past and your backgrounds have kind of played into like your relationship and your, your view of money, if you will. Sure. Um, I would say kind of going back to what I mentioned before, I would credit like my parents to really how early on my view of money was shaped. So I can remember from as young as I can, can remember, my grandma would always give us a hundred dollar check for our birthday. Nice. Every and <laughs> as a six, seven, eight, nine year old, like that's a lot of money. That's right? a lot of money. And yeah. so I knew every July was coming around and <laughs> my wheels would start turning and like, what am I going to buy? And I, I can remember it. It was, it was always coming back to and having a conversation with, conversation with my parents specifically probably more so my dad about being wise with that money mm-hmm. and giving tithing some of it and then like i'm we'll probably talk more about this but i'm more of a saver mm-hmm. so to me it was always okay i could go spend it right now but then if i if i save it until next birthday then i'll have more money and i can do more with it and so from an early age even before i was working and had like regular income, it was always, okay, don't be rash. Don't make really quick decisions, but like, what is, um, an impactful thing that I can do with, with whatever amount of money it is that I had. And so from a young age, even till now, I would say that early thinking still applies today, even though we're talking different numbers, different amounts of money, it, it all started I feel like it, at such a young age. And then as I got into junior high and high school and it was working jobs, okay, college is coming up. How much, how much am I going to have to spend on college? And it, it really just kind of morphed over time and, but still the same, the, the same fundamental principles applied from day one, even till now. Wow. Oh, that's so good. Did your parents invest anything or was it in a bank account? Do you remember? Uh, early on, it was a bank account. And I, I can remember my dad taking me taking me to the bank, setting up my bank account. And I had that, that account forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I did invest when I was young. Okay. At Justin. <laughs> we can work on it. Uh, that's awesome. I remember opening my first bank account, too. That was a really special thing to do. I don't think I understood the implications and didn't have a job till college. So I didn't have that like satisfaction of this is my money going to the bank, but my kids will have that. (laughs) We will will try to teach them that. Anna, Anna, what about you? What's kind of your journey with money been like growing up? Yeah, I have a similar background. Um, I would say my parents did a really good job at teaching us to, um, to set aside money for savings and for giving and for spending. And I felt like that was a really important lesson as a child, even um, starting, like he said, from money I'd get from grandparents for birthdays. But also as we got older, I, you know, the babysitting money would all be the same. We'd set aside the same percentage, you know, for all those different categories. And it was a good lesson for us. But I also remember setting up my bank account and um, my dad bringing me to the bank and um, making me deposit my own checks and all of that and just learning how to manage things in that way. Um, It wasn't something we talked about very often. And I think that's probably pretty normal. So when you, and I know we'll talk about this, but when you get married and you're having to have these conversations about money, it's very much a challenging topic. But um, at the same time, I felt like there was some good groundwork and good things built at a young age. Hmm. Yeah. 
That's amazing. So you said a percentage, Anna. Justin, did you have a percentage as well, or was it? It was probably the 10%. I don't remember exactly yeah. the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure it was the kind of 10% mm-hmm. standard, take it to church, put an offering plate type thing. Okay. Well, I remember mine is 10% giving, 30% saving, and 60% I got to spend. So <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's a, I like the percentage thing. Then you don't have to think about it or make the decision in the moment. Yeah. That's cool. I know yeah. um, I've seen people who, like your brother with his kids, have like a jar or something. So it's very visual to them when they're young, you know. But anyway. I have a box that um, their great-grandfather, my grandfather, made for them. What? And it has three compartments and giving. Oh, that's cool. So it's a great visual because when they get their little money and change, they can put it in their different compartments. And yeah, it's a good lesson. That's very cool. I love that. Um, So as you've grown up, you know, and you're an adult now and and making more money and stuff like that, like you said, Justin, how have your views of money changed and how have you, you know, gotten new um, tools or what what are ways that your your view of money has changed over the years? Um, probably like most younger people, like you have this this thought of what money is, like before you actually have it. So like even in high school and probably even into college, like I always thought of money as that that thing that was gonna go allow me to go buy that whatever mm. or kind of level up and it was going to be okay when as soon as i get this then it's gonna it's gonna allow me to kind of take that next big step or whatever um and the the older i get and this probably started probably around the time that we were married is money is just a necessary tool Mm -hmm. and there's so much emphasis on get as much as you can as quick as you can and it's going to make you happy mm-hmm. uh, not that we've arrived by any means but the more that we've been able to save and accumulate it's just a, a tool it's a necessary tool you have to have it but it it doesn't bring a, this magical or all of a sudden amount of happiness just because you get that next big paycheck you yeah. get that raise or whatever but it it becomes a tool that you can invest in other people and you can give to other people and you can um just have a bigger impact to other causes and people around you um because when you when you don't have much you, there's only i feel like there's only a certain way that you can really think about money because your eyes haven't been open to like the true potential that it has Mm. once, once you're able to accumulate and you have more options of where those dollars go, Mm -hmm. then I feel like your view of money should change. And it's more of a conversation of, okay, where's the next, where's the next best use of this dollar that we have to put it somewhere. So that's, that's one of the ideas that came to mind of, of how has this, how has my view changed over time yeah. is it it's a tool and you make of it whatever you choose to make of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I, I love that word of like that money is a tool because that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, and we're going to, we're going to use this word a lot. It's one of our favorite words, mm-hmm. balance. How do you find balance within using money as a tool, using money as a necessary means of how you, buy a house and have a family and have security, like, like financial security is a great fun, thing, ha, you know, and fun vacation, as well. Exactly. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how do you use, like, you can have like good financial security that, that aspect, like that's, that's good. That's a good thing. Um, but at the same time that like you don't have an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy perspective of money kind of on the flip side. So you kind of want to be balanced in the middle. Like how would you say you would help someone who is struggling to find that, that balanced relationship when it comes to money on, on either side, whether they're like, man, I am like scrimping and saving like 
Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, in that way, or someone who is like, ah, whatever. It's just, we'll spend however and whatever, and we'll use credit cards because it's, it's all good. You know, how, how do you find balance in that relationship with money? Would you say? Sure. You get married. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Anna. No, really. Yes. Do you want to talk about that a little more? Because I think that's a great point. Yeah. Um, Go for it. No, I mean, it's, it's a great question. It really is because, but I mean, I guess in our relationship, he's the penny pincher, I'm the spender. But I think that's, we've talked about how that's the way it is in lots of different relationships. And so we work to balance each other out. But it takes a lot of humility and willingness to listen mm. and uh, to compromise on things. But I know he has stuff to say. <laughs> No, it's interesting, like in my financial planning practice, yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know the majority, but many people come to me with that, either the, the way that you worded the question or that's the question that they're trying to ask. But they, they just don't know exactly what they're trying to say. Sure. But so many people are, are looking for direction is they've heard all these like general rules of thumb. They've heard like, Oh, my parents did this or my coworkers are doing this. So that by default means I should do the same thing. Mm. But a lot of people don't have the capacity to like distinguish, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. So I need to go do this because sometimes that results in them not doing what they see everyone else doing around them. And so in a sense, it can cause like confusion in their mind. Like, well, I thought I was supposed to do this, but now you're telling me to do this. And so that balance that you mentioned it in my world, it really comes down to just understanding what are you trying to accomplish? Mm, Yeah, that's good. Let's start, let's start with the end goal of what it is that you're telling me is important to you. And that's not, I want to retire at 65. Like, it, it can be bigger, bigger scale, bigger ideas like that, mm-hmm. but it's even down to like smaller, more daily or, or monthly decisions that you're making too. But I think when people are trying to search out that balance, I typically go to, okay, well, what are you trying to do? Is it, are you trying to get out of debt just as fast as you possibly can? Is it um, an unhealthy uh, view of spending and credit cards and, and things like that. So once you get clarity on, okay, what's the end goal, then we can figure out what that balance needs to look like. Sure. Maybe we need to be more intentional with how much we're saving. Like if we're not saving anything for the future, but your goal is like, let's say to retire, well, you're, you're probably not going to hit your goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, then it comes down to, okay, we, it's just compromise. You got to, you got to take from one place and put it to another and then get really, really good at doing that for a long period of time. And then you, you come back and reevaluate and, and make sure you're still on the right track. Sure. So that's where I feel like when you're trying to find that balance is just understand what you're shooting for. Mm-hmm. And then, then you'll naturally kind of back your way into naturally getting that balance. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. Um, Anna, you were, you were saying at the beginning of that, and I think it was a really good point, you know, with, with balance and obviously everything that, that Justin said, but, you know, finding that balance as a couple, as a team, as, as partners, and every person is going to have a little bit of a different, I don't want to say view of money, but a a little bit of a different application of money. Some are going to be more spenders. Some are going to be more savers. You know, how have you guys been able to like compromise, find balance, partner, grow, whatever word you want to use to kind of like move from less of an extreme, you know, as, as an individual more toward the middle together as a couple and be able to communicate through that in a way where it it's not accusatory. It's not triggering because money can do that. Yeah. It, it can. Cause again, those can be hard conversations sometimes uh, how, like Anna for you, how, how have you felt growth or change in, in that respect, you know, especially as more of a 
spender, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say a lot of that has come over time in our marriage too. Like I do feel like at the beginning of our marriage, maybe talking about finances was a little bit more of a sticky subject Mm -hmm. where I would feel like, and he was always a good listener and never did this, but I would just feel like attacked. Like don't, don't attack Mm -hmm. my spending habits or whatever. And he was just trying to be careful and make sure money was going where it's supposed to be. But I feel like over time when he's understood, like I am all about experiences. I love to travel. I love to go out to eat. I love to like do fun things and take my kids fun places. But I have to be very careful not to do that at the expense of um, not saving like we should or not setting aside money for things that we need to be setting aside money for. And so that's when it's come down to just being really willing and open to communicate about our goals and about our, what we're passionate about and listening to each other and then coming up with a game plan together about how we're going to meet each of our goals. Like how can we save and how can we set aside money for emergencies? How can we um, set aside money to invest, which we'll talk all about later, but also how can we set aside some money for our family to experience the things that are some of my goals too. So anyway, it yeah. just comes down to having goals and communicating them and learning how to compromise, I think. Love that. Really well put, Anna. I mm-hmm. think that that's something that you said was harder in the beginning of your marriage. Yes. And I think some people think, oh, if it's hard, it's always going to be hard. But oh, you you've seen victory in that. You've seen that it, the more you have those conversations, the easier it gets. And instead yes. of saying, oh, this is sticky, this is uncomfortable, we have different values, we have different goals, like peace out or or less, or even worse, let's not talk about it. Let's just hide it under a rug and, you know, you have your money, I have mon- my money. And, you know, anyway, I, I really appreciate you being honest in that, that it is a hard conversation, especially in the beginning. But yes. it sounds like it gets easier for you guys as it has for us. Yes. Um, And I think our story, something that's sticky about our story is, yes, we knew about money. We actually both have dads that are very financially, very, very financially savvy, but we went into marriage so blind. Well, so uh, we just- Yeah, very different within the application and because of like our own past and our own stories, sometimes seeing the application of money, like for me- Coming, coming from more of a saver background, I actually kind of pendulumed a little bit to the other end of like, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, seventh of eight kids, like it, it it got tight quite a bit. And so you kind of swing to the other side of like, I like going out to eat. Like food is a great thing. Like I'm, I'm with you, Anna, on that, (laughs) you know, I, I like doing those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, there there needs to be balance right. within that. And so that's something that we have to talk yeah. through and we have to communicate through. And we've both grown in, too. I mean, yeah. we learned the hard way in a, in a couple of things to have that emergency fund to to plan for our future. Um, I know, Justin, we've talked a little bit about how financial advisors kind of get a bad rap sometimes because of. Um, a negative association or as we got sold in our (laughs) early, early 20s, life insurance. We we did not have Um, financial advisors. Yes. Well, we're in a financial advisor. Let's just say that. Air quotes. Financial advisor. Yeah. So um, obviously we'll have it in the show notes, but rammerfinancial.com is your business. Tell us a little bit about how you get people started. I, I love your onboarding and how you get to know them and their their views of money and then of course their their money in general this is passion yeah there you go you're both passionate about what you do i love that (laughs) for sure yeah it's uh and so this just comes from a, a place of hearing other people tell me that the process that i take people through families through it it's very different than like the stereotypical financial advisor and that's hearing from what other people told me, but it's, it's so much about, like you guys said, it's not a product. It's not a life insurance policy that is going to make you successful. Right. But where I start with everyone is, is just really understanding like what is important to you. It's not what, when do you want to retire? That could be part of it, but like, why do you go to work? Why do you get a paycheck? Like, 
what if you if money wasn't involved, what would you do every day just because you could if mm-hmm. money had nothing to do with it? And like once you really take it a whole another level deeper than most people are expecting coming into this conversation, mm-hmm. like you start opening up doors that like some people may think it's more like a psychiatrist meeting than it is a financial yeah. advisor. I feel like for me to do the best work I can for those that I work with, I have to have those conversations. Yeah. And so before I talk, how much is in your account? What's your income? Like those are the kinds of conversations I'm having. And so before we like before jumping into all that, I call it my icebreaker meeting because that's what it is. Like it's, it's me getting to know them, but just as important, it's them getting to know me and understanding like, this is what I do. This is the process you will go through. And it's up to you to decide whether or not you feel like that process is valuable enough Mm -hmm. and and what it is that you're looking for, because I'm not a good fit for everybody. And I'll, I'll say that it's it's not, it's not cut out for everybody. And so, um, yeah, I feel like that's the most important thing is really understanding What's important? What are your values? What about money gets you out of bed every day? Mm. And once once we get clarity on that, okay, now let's dive into the numbers. Let's understand um, what what all pieces need to be put in place to make sure that all these goals and hopes and dreams for you and your family and your kids, that they'll become a reality. Mm. Okay, then let's jump into those and let's put the pieces in place. But without truly understanding what's important to them, then it's just me telling them what I think is important for them as opposed to it coming the other way around. Do you feel like there's value in that, in almost doing that with your spouse? Like sitting, like a lot of those questions that you asked are fantastic questions. I was going to say, should that be our first date questions? Yeah. Not first, but you know, our dating questions too. When you're dating someone, it might be feel awkward and weird to, to do that with someone who like before you're married or even when you're early in your marriage, all of those things. But can you talk about like why that is so important? For sure. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think we ever had like a super in-depth conversation like that. Well, we'll have it now. That's fine. You got to go ahead and ask each other. (laughs) We'll make some discoveries. It'll be great. Well, yeah, one of the things we did before we got married, though, that wasn't only about finances, it was about other things as well, but included finances. It was funny, I actually found this, I was cleaning off shelves the other day, and I found it in a notebook, but we each sat down separately, like in our own homes, and wrote down like all of our expectations for our marriage, for finances, and that gave us a chance just to be on our own by ourselves, Mm -hmm. without anybody feeling like we're being judged, or, you know, thought, you know, Um, and so... That's something that we, I would recommend for people to do is to sit down individually and write down your expectations and your goals and finances, and then sit down and come together and compare them. Mm-hmm. And you can, at that point, start making a plan and start finding ways that you can compromise to help meet each other's goals. Um, but yeah, I absolutely think that that should be something that couples communicate yeah. before they get married or early on in their marriage, because everybody brings something different to the table. And it's interesting in those conversations, um, like most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of couples don't have that conversation as in depth as what I'm having with them. So it's, I can just visually see that discovery Hmm. and that eye opening. And it's, it's usually a positive thing. And, and (laughs) I haven't, I (laughs) I don't know conversations that happen outside of my office. It, it typically turns into a very healthy, oh, like that's what you want to do. Great. Like I can see that. Like mm. it turns more into, okay, you guys walked in here, maybe not fully aware of what each other wanted because maybe you didn't know the right, you, you didn't know what you didn't know. Yeah. Right? Then once you get into it, like Anna said, uh, you, you almost have to be on the same page. You don't have to agree. You don't have to have the same goals. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say like you and I, we're probably not a hundred percent aligned on like what our goals are, but I understand what she wants. She understands what I want. And together we can, we can make it happen. And 
that'll involve some compromise along the way. But sure. I think you have to have clarity on each other's vision and goals during marriage as it relates to finances. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a huge fear around finances. We kind of talked about that earlier, especially when you feel out of control. And let's face it, like student debt right now is scary. And and, I mean, then we have everything in the world can be financed, right? And so sometimes it's hard to even start that conversation short term, but also long term. You know, you we I think a lot of people don't even know how to calculate their retirement or to calculate what they need and you know, I grew up thinking a million dollars was you're you're golden and I'm like a million dollars that's not that's not my lifestyle you know I want to be it so talk about how you view planning for the future and how you would go into that either talking to your spouse or as a financial planner mm-hmm. getting people taking away the fear and making it breaking it down to what's what's realistic and what you look at sure um i mean it it's interesting when you jump into those conversations with people and really starting to understand, because I, I feel like the, another question I get almost all the time is, am I on track for retirement? Right. Like That, that is such an open-ended question. Mm-hmm. Like I can't just say, mm, yep, you're good. Like, <laughs> I you, you heard it here, guys. I'm the intentional thriver. You're good for retirement. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Uh, but no, it, it's there's so many moving pieces involved yeah. when it comes to like finances. Um, and I feel like that's a part over the years that I've just educated, mm-hmm. um, obviously people I'm working with, but Anna too, it's just, these are the things that you hear about on the news, on social media, from friends. And there's so much just of a general lack of education Absolutely. when it comes to personal finance because mm-hmm. they're not teaching that in school they're not teaching that in college unless you're getting a degree in it but even then it's it's so limited in terms of that the personal nature of financial planning and i feel like that's what it needs to be like financial planning is personal it's not just this cookie cutter thing that okay you do this 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 and this and then if you do that for long enough, you're set, you're good. But and, and it's not, I think there's a danger in comparing what you see other people doing with your current situation. Yeah. We were talking about this the other day, like the age of social media portrays everything is perfect. Everything is going well. Like there's nothing under the hood that's broken. Like every, like everything's great. Yeah. Right. But from my perspective, it is so easy to finance a lifestyle if you want to. Like yeah. they, they have a new car all the time. They just bought a new house. They just bought the boat. They just went on three vacations this summer. Like you see on the surface of all the things that stuff and stuff that people are buying. <laughs> once you dive into it, like it, it's a dangerous game when you start trying to play that like keeping up with the Joneses mentality, which is all around us. Yeah. Just because so-and-so is doing this doesn't mean anything. And it it can be really, really dangerous to, to get into the habit of, uh, of, of trying to live that way of trying to stay on the hamster wheel and just catch up, catch up, catch up. Cause you never will. Cause you you really don't know what other people are doing. You, you see the results of what they've chosen to do, but under the hood, things can be completely broken if, if you don't know. And and that's so hard because I think as a culture, we identify so much of our value in stuff. We identify so much of our value in like, oh, how much do you make at your job? How big is your house? How nice and new is your car? And it, like you said, with, with social media, it's very easy to put up a front of that lifestyle or, you know, even people who do make a lot of money and they sure they pay for their cars, they pay for all that. So, you know, but, um, you know, when I hear the term investing, I hear the term investing or things like that. And it's like, okay, what is, what does that actually mean? 
um, which I know that's a super big and broad question, but can you like, just for someone, like if you were writing the book investment for dummies, which, you know, I'm sure is out there, there. there's a book investment for dummies. Um, just like, what is the role of investment? What does that actually mean? And is that something that like everyday people can do, should do? You know, again, I know that's a huge question, but if some of that makes sense. Keep it very high level. Yes. There's so many, there's so many different ways you can enter the arena of investing because most people have their, I'd say everybody has their preconceived idea of what investing is, Mm -hmm. but it's the execution uh, or where do you go to invest is really the, where you can you can get all over the place. Sure. I would say my my view of investing has changed, which may sound weird coming from a financial planner, but when I when I'm talking to all different people all across the spectrum, investing applies differently to all of them. And what I mean by that is for someone that's like let's say fresh out of college, just got their new job, don't have a lot of dollars to invest uh, in the stock market, in their 401k, whatever. My advice to them is since they don't have a lot to invest, would probably be to invest in themselves Hmm. to allow them to create more cash flow, create additional Hmm. streams of income so that they can turn around and actually invest more in the stereotypical investment buckets like the stock market and things like that. don't take that as if you're young and fresh out of college and getting your new job, you shouldn't invest (laughs) in the stock market. That's not it. But to where I've seen people make tremendous headway in terms of building like a nest egg and building their investment accounts is when they invest in themselves to get better at their job, to Mm -hmm. get a pay raise, to get another stream of income, to get a new job that pays more Mm -hmm. is that is what's really going to propel them and put them somewhere much, much quicker than if they're investing that $20 a month in the stock market. Like that's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but when you look at like the, the bigger picture, go invest in yourself and mm-hmm. teach yourself that new skill. And that's going to move things along much, much quicker in terms of like, okay, yes, I can in- invest in, in that sense. Um, I like to see people investing in multiple different areas. I think the the general rule of thumb or the like traditional thinking is like throw as much money as you can at your 401k. And that's all you need to do from an investment standpoint. Again, not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but there's there is so much of an over-reliance on 401ks, in my opinion. And I think that comes from it just being convenient. You don't have to do anything. You check a box. And that's all you have to do to put your 401k. <laughs> yeah. And doesn't matter which box you check, you just check a box and your money's going in your, into your 401k <laughs> plan. And like so many people, and I, I see this, is they they assume that because they're doing that, that's all they that's all they have to do. Like yeah. they're gonna they're gonna be set up for the future without really putting any additional thought to okay, I'm putting five percent of my paycheck into this 401k what is that really potentially going to get me 20 30 40 years down the road mm-hmm. only to come to find out that that four or five percent contributions probably not going to cut it mm-hmm. and so I the way that most of my conversations with the families I work with go is okay let's let's put some into this bucket like a 401k your employer gives you a match great let's put some in there let's if you're eligible for a Roth IRA, great. Let's put some after-tax dollars into that so you can pull it out tax-free. Oh, like you want to put money into a brokerage account after tax? Not trying to get too technical, but mm-hmm. the idea of having multiple different buckets serves many different purposes because you can pull money from this bucket without triggering a tax. You can pull money from this one with triggering some tax. And it, it gives you much more control of of how you start to distribute those dollars once you're in retirement. Yeah. So. No, Justin, I thought you did a great job explaining 
like a top level of, yeah, of finances really and really even I understood it. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> deal. <laughs> That's a skill life is just word things so that I can understand. Yeah. That's a skill. Yeah. That's a skill. It's a translation for sure. What did that take you? Like five minutes to go through a very high level that you could talk about for years, you know, underneath. And I think instead of being paralyzed by all of that down there, taking that top level stance and for somebody like Anna and my Justin, that's pretty close to what they need uh, mm-hmm. to then yeah. dig into what their goals are from their goals. Right. Well, it's crazy. And I deal with people from a professional standpoint all across the spectrum. Right. People make $50,000. People make $5 million. Yeah. And the conversation really does not change that much. Wow. Even like your income. Like I work with guys that play in the NFL and they make millions of dollars a year. A lot of them don't know the difference between a Roth IRA and a brokerage account. Like, wow. it, just because you have a lot of money does not mean that you're like financially up to speed or, or where you should be. Yeah. And so, even having this level of conversation, regardless of your financial status, yeah. it, it, for most people, it's what they need. Yeah. And so, it's, it's getting them to focus on. You don't need to get in the weeds. You don't need to get really super complicated. There are times for that. Yeah. But it's more about, okay, control what you can control. Mm -hmm. If you can invest 15, 20% of your income for your working career, that's what it's going to take for most people. That's right. And the more you go above and beyond that, the sooner it's going to accelerate being work optional and being financially independent. Right. And so like, it's just those basic principles that I think, People have that the thought in their mind of ah, my my life's not complicated enough to justify bringing on someone from the outside mm. to help. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't have to be that way. It's yeah. it's yeah. let's let's get to the point where we understand from an educational standpoint what it is that we need to be doing, and most of the time that doesn't require some high level college degree level like education. Just sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. What would you say as a fan financial advisor, Justin, is the biggest value that you bring to your clients? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've mentioned it a few times, but it it's keeping things simple for them to understand. Because like I said earlier, the question is that I get most often is, am I on track? Mm-hmm. And when I get that question, I'd say, 99% of the time people walk out having maybe not content for where they're at, mm-hmm. but walking out with a much, much higher level of confidence than when they walked in of their current position is understanding like, Hey, if I keep doing what I'm doing and job goes well and all this stuff, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm not going to be okay if I keep doing exactly what I'm doing. And yeah. so I would say from the feedback that I've received, it's, it's just that it's not me beating the market. It's not some magical mutual fund that I have that no one else has. <laughs> <It's dying>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just kidding. It's, it's just that the understanding, listening, mm-hmm. and then, okay, you're telling me this, these are the areas that we need to focus on and get really, really good at, get really good at the fundamentals mm-hmm. and, and we're going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. Not long ago, um, part of the onboarding process is, okay, these are the 20, 30 different documents that I need to review prior to us like developing some for, some sort of plan together. Wow. And then most people are scrambling, trying to find like all those things. Well, one guy walked in with a physical shoebox of all the mailings, all the documents, all the policies that he thought were important because they looked important, but they would just go into his financial junk drawer. Yeah. And and he thought they were important, but most people don't have a sense of like, I have 30 different moving pieces in my financial life, but how do they all fit together mm. and like i said earlier that's that's like the first that's 
point A on the journey is before I can tell you what's broken, let's understand what's going on. Yeah. Organize. Let's see how you got to where you're at today. And then we'll, then we'll move on from there. But without that, I can't advise anybody on what they should do without knowing what's going on. Sure. That's right. Yeah. How, how would you say for, for both of you guys that when it comes to, and it doesn't even have to be about money, but I mean, obviously a lot of our conversation has revolved around money, but what does it mean to you guys to intentionally thrive in your life? Or this idea of of thriving. What what is what does that mean to you guys? I've talked a lot. <laughs> um, I actually have a kind of a definition, I guess, of thriving that I found. This is something that I actually been doing a lot of work on in my own life. I feel like over the last couple of years, because I just told a friend like last year. And she's asking me how I was doing. I was like, I'm surviving, but I'm not thriving. Mm. And so I feel like this is an area that I've been working on. But um, the definition I found says thriving happens as we clarify and pursue a purpose that is aligned with our strengths, our life-giving relationships, and our values. And I think mm. that has been really important. And it kind of ties into our finance conversation because... I think, and I love the name of your podcast, by the way, too, the intentional part, because thriving is intentional. Yeah. Like it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of work, not perfection, because right. we'll never not be perfect in that area. And we can't compare ourselves to other people, as we've talked about, but it does take intentionality. And so I think that in order to intentionally thrive, we have to um, find our priorities, find our purpose, and then make a path or make a goal in order to get there. And that's going to look different for everybody else. Right. Like we've talked about, yeah. um, but just to get real practical, like for me, my purpose is to keep my kids alive. Keep <laughs> thriving and that too. is a big goal. <laughs> Three boys. Yeah, a happy home and work my jobs and do all of that for the glory of God. And you know, that's easier said than done. And so mm -hmm. I've had to really focus on making a game plan for myself of how this is going to look like. And we just talked about this this morning because I was asking him, I was like, do you ever have like one thing go wrong in your life? And then all of a sudden it just like spirals mm -hmm. in your mind of like all these things that you have to do and like everything just, I don't know, like it just causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. Yep. So for me, to help myself intentionally thrive in what I feel like my given purpose is, I have to prioritize my time. I have to take time at the beginning of each week to brain dump. And he encouraged me to do that and just like start writing down everything that week that I need to get done. And I have the time block. And so I have certain things that I put into my schedule um, on a daily basis, such as my quiet time every morning, going to the gym, which being pregnant has not gone <laughs> as well as I want to. Um, but also like making dinner, picking my kids up for school. Like those are constants. And I put them in my schedule every day, Good every week. But then what I've been learning is at the beginning of the week to bring down all those other things that I need to get done. And those things that are floating around in my mind, pick two things each day to try to check off my list. Oh, cool. And that's me, I guess, try to intentionally thrive in what my goals are. If I can organize my time in that way and also build in time to give yourself grace, give yourself rest. Mm. So that's important in having and thriving as well. So anyway, I think it, it ties into the financial thing too, to like find your purpose. Don't live beyond your means or beyond what you're capable of doing and then communicate, have accountability and um, yeah, budget your time. I love don't that. Other people. All of that. I, I, I don't so, even think you need to answer, Justin. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I think so Anna good. answered it perfectly. <laughs> but fine, whatever. I mean, sure, we'll, we'll hear we'll hear your opinion too. So I would say, and you mentioned it earlier, is the the concept of balance. Mm -hmm. I I feel like maybe not impossible, but it it'd be very difficult to truly thrive and not have a healthy balance with all the different spokes on your financial or spokes on your personal life. Mm -hmm. If you don't have balance between all those, I don't know how you can thrive. And that's yeah. something that, that I think we've gotten better at as a couple is not getting so far pulled 
in one direction that you start compromising on other areas of your life. And yeah, finances are a part of that, but from a personal standpoint to a, a physical standpoint, financial, spiritual, uh, professionally, um, is if, if you get so out of whack is the technical term. Yeah. If you get super so, so out of whack and out of focus, then you're, you never know if you're truly making progress in an area, mm. I feel like. But if, if you do have balance and you're grounded, then then you, that's when that thriving aspect, I think, starts happening. I love that. And none of that is possible unless you know where where you stand with your whys and your goals and right. even on a weekly basis. Like That's so cool that you do that brain dump, Anna. And I feel like the mental load is so real as moms and as parents in general. But I think that that's a good reminder to us all that we're not going to be able to thrive if we don't have that grounding and if we don't have the internal tools that will help us get there, you know? And and I appreciate you telling us that there was a time, as we all have had, where we're surviving. And yeah. that's not shameful. That's not I mean, that that's real, you know, and that's that's been part of the whole point mm -hmm. of this podcast is like yeah. feeling that, man, I feel like I'm just surviving yeah. in this season. And like, what are tools that we can glean from other people exactly. to thrive? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for all the tools you gave us tonight. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Especially the ones that are very real. Like yeah. I've already started documenting our why when it comes to finances because of you, Justin. I'm sure it's going to come up in our weekly uh, budget meeting <laughs> stuff that we've talked about tonight. So thanks for that. <laughs> and for those looking for a financial advisor, like yeah. a like a good financial advisor. Yeah, someone who's going to look at the holistic approach. Yes, and get a therapy like session in there to boot. What? So it's what like two for deal. one. Man, oh man. <laughs> Brammerfinancial.com. Check it out. Yeah. But thank you guys so much, so much for taking the time, being on the Intentional Thriver. And uh, we just scratched the surface yeah. of money right. in this session. So certainly we'll have you guys on again. Thank you again so much. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you.